0: past the city of Niagara Falls would find other, less agreeable, uses for the site. In the early 1940s the city sold it to an electrochemical manufacturing company known as Hooker Chemical and for the next decade the company would use the site as a repository for more than 20,000 tons of toxic waste. William T. Love's model city would never come to pass and his name to many was forgotten. But of Love's Canal and its buried past, the world would soon be reminded. Today's episode was researched, written, and produced by me... What was once a dream can easily turn into a nightmare. That's certainly true in the case of Love Canal. One singular dream, a model city, a utopia, the naively grand vision of one man, William Love. No one could have foretold the horrors that it would ultimately cause for so many. Perhaps it's unfair to tie Love's naivete or perhaps duplicity to what would later happen upon the grounds of his abandoned settlement. After all, it would be several decades before people that love never met began to stain its soil with toxins. Still, those who blindly buried their refuse in his tracks were similarly guilty of the same flaw as he. Shortsightedness. In our last podcast, we shared the story of William Love, a failed entrepreneur and land developer who, back in the 1890s, tried to build a utopian community in Niagara Falls. Love's failed settlement had amounted to little more than a half-mile gash in the earth where steam-powered shovels had carved the beginnings of his canal. As time passed, it slowly filled with water from rain and nearby creeks. During the summer, children would use it as a swimming hole in the winter a pond on which to skate. As canal waters slowly rose in the early decades of the 20th century, so too did the economy of Niagara Falls, and it was built largely upon the emerging electrochemical industry. The first of these companies to arrive was the chlorine-producing Niagara Electrochemical Company which began operations in 1895. Matheson Alkali Company soon followed, as did Oldbury Electrochemical. One by one they came, establishing an industrial base within the city with which Niagara Falls would forever be intertwined, and one that would reshape the landscape. It's another company, however, or rather what it would become that's the subject of our story today. The Development and Funding Company. Founded in 1903 by Elon Huntington Hooker. Elon was a civil engineer and graduate of the nearby University of Rochester. Within a few short years, he'd named the company after himself, the Hooker Electrochemical Company. Hooker had entered into chemical production around the turn of the century, With a goal of establishing a chemical industry within the U.S. that would be as successful as those in Europe. Their main products were sodium hydroxide, or caustic soda, and chloride of lime, a highly corrosive bleaching powder. The company quickly became the nation's largest supplier of chloride of lime, which Elon believed would become an indispensable factor in the sanitation of the nation's water systems. Research had shown that Even in small doses, chloride of lime could cleanse water contaminated by factory runoff. In a world where millions had become sick from waterborne diseases like dysentery, typhoid, and cholera, chloride of lime could have a metamorphic impact. You see, Hooker had something in common with William T. Love. They were both sympathetic to the damage that various industries had done to the environment. Hooker saw himself as a reformer, believe it or not. He used his money for good, funding environmental research and sustainable technologies. In 1912, he joined Theodore Roosevelt's Bull Moose Party, backing the former president and ardent environmentalist. He became close friends with Roosevelt and even served as the party's national treasurer. As we'll see, however, despite Hooker's high minded intentions, his legacy Would become the antithesis of everything that he had intended. Like many of his competitors, Hooker chose to locate his operations in the city of Niagara Falls because of its vast natural resources, namely the large amount of fresh water and its nearby salt deposits. You see, Hooker focused on what's known as electrochemistry, a branch of chemistry that deals with the changes caused in matter by passing an electric current and converting chemical energy to electrical energy and vice versa. According to author Richard Newman, by passing massive amounts of electricity through a saline solution, an electrolytic chemist could create vast quantities of chlorine, hydrogen, and caustic soda, which, in turn, could be used to make finished products. Thus, Niagara Falls provided everything for which an aspiring young electrochemist could dream. Hooker's company was in business barely a decade before Uncle Sam came knocking and the patriotic Elon Hooker was ready and willing to answer. It was the summer of 1914 and far across the Atlantic, war had broken out in Eastern Europe between Serbia and the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The fighting, which many believed would be over by the time the leaves fell, instead escalated and expanded. By early August, 11 million soldiers from eight different nations would be called to war. The United States was not one of these nations, not yet anyway. Still, American manufacturers were called upon to provide supplies and materiel to the Allied forces. Hooker provided the Allies with chemicals used in the production of mustard gas, a new weapon first unleashed by the Germans in 1915. Hooker even offered to train the American Expeditionary Force on how to protect yourself should you be the victim of a gas attack along the Western Front. The company also provided chlorobenzol, a chemical used in explosives to the French and American armed forces. In March of 1938, Elon Hooker passed away at the age of 86. Still, his company continued to grow in his absence, expanding its list of chemical offerings to over 100, including degreasers, defoliants, rubbers, and more. During World War II, the company again provided the Army with materiel. They provided plastics for a soldier's gear, rubber for their shoes, and chemicals which would rust proof their guns. According to a company historian, Hooker even played a role in the Manhattan Project, the government program which researched, tested, and developed the world's first nuclear weapons. But Hooker's increase in production didn't come without its challenges, namely what to do with the massive amounts of waste and byproducts that it was churning out. There were only two problems, noted author Keith O'Brien in his book Paradise Falls. The chemicals they were dumping were often known irritants that could be fatal, cause nausea or vomiting, or burn employees' skin, their eyes, or lungs through spillage, steam, or other mishaps. And the company was manufacturing these products so quickly, executives needed a place to store the excess, the waste, and the chemical residues. If only there was a place to put them. Enter William Love and his abandoned canal. In 1942, the company looked to Love's abandoned channel. Hooker sent representatives there to evaluate the site for its potential use and at a half mile long, a hundred feet wide, and with fifteen-foot-high walls, the old ditch at LaSalle proved a worthy site. What's more, the old canal was only a short drive up the road from Hooker's manufacturing plant. The Hooker men, as higher-ups of the company were often called, left satisfied with what they'd seen, and before long Niagara Falls granted the company permission to use the site. The water which had accumulated over the years was drained, and hooker trucks began a decade-long routine of burying their waste at the site. For 10 years, hooker drivers made daily trips to the site, dumping barrels of chlorinated hydrocarbon residues, processed sludges, acids, pesticides, and countless other dangerous chemicals. Author Keith O'Brien notes that, During the company's peak production years of the 1940s, employees might come to work on a Monday to find 300 drums filled with thionyl chloride, lined up and ready to go to the canal. What's thionyl chloride, you ask? Well, it's a byproduct of Hooker's poison gas, a pale yellow or red liquid with a terrible pungent odor. It's used in the production of lithium batteries and pesticides, Highly corrosive chemical that can cause breathing problems and a buildup of fluid in the lungs. Oh, and it's highly explosive and reacts violently when exposed to water. Now, to deal with this particularly unstable chemical, Hooker employees had a rather unusual protocol. They'd poke holes in the barrels prior to depositing them into the dump. This, in theory, would mitigate the odds of an explosion, but I mean, do we even need to say the downside? In the post-war years of the 1940s and 50s, the United States experienced a baby boom, and Niagara Falls was no exception. The sharp increase in births combined with an increasing rate of home ownership led to the development of new neighborhoods. Between 1940 and 1960, the population of Niagara Falls grew over 30%. With a ready supply of good-paying jobs, the city was prospering, and it became a perfect place for young families to start the rest of their lives. Now, in hindsight, it seems clear that encouraging settlement near a toxic waste site wasn't among the most judicious of plans. That being said, those buying homes in the area were largely unaware of its history and what seeped insidiously beneath the soil. And thus, developers began planning neighborhoods, laying out streets, and building homes. By 1952, Hooker had stopped dumping at the LaSalle site, but as we'll see, the damage had already been done. In just 10 years, the company had buried roughly 22,000 tons of toxic waste in the canal. 22,000 tons. 44 million pounds. Then they sealed the site with a clay cap and walked away. As more and more families settled in the area, there was a greater need for stores, restaurants, churches, and, of course, schools. City officials and members of the Niagara Falls School Board certainly observed that need in Love Canal, as the neighborhood was now known. They also observed something else. A wide-open stretch of land, a harmless 16-acre meadow, plopped right in the middle of their growing community. In March of 1952, the superintendent of Niagara Falls schools contacted Hooker Chemical to ask about acquiring the land. After considering the risks such a sale would pose to the environment and community, Hooker declined. It was no place to build a school, they warned. The waste buried there was not your run-of-the-mill trash, they added. It was potentially very dangerous. Their decision wasn't final, however. You see, Hooker was aware of the development that was going on in the area, and it seems that the potential for danger and the liability that would likely come with it had caused Hooker execs to reevaluate their position on the sale. And in April of 1953, they sold the property to the school board. The cost? Just one dollar. Before the sale, Hooker warned them of the toxins present and the dangers of building there, The spirit of that warning was reflected in the sales agreement. It specified that, quote, the premises had been filled in whole or in part to the present grade level thereof with waste product resulting from the manufacturing of chemicals by the grantor and its plant in the city of Niagara Falls. And the grantee assumes all risk and liability incident to the use thereof. And with that, the deal was done. Hooker had rid themselves of the land and had washed, or at least thought, they had washed themselves of any liability. Then, in 1954, in an act that strains credulity, construction began upon the site for Niagara Falls' 99th Street Public School. When excavation on the site began in January of 1954, workers came across a strange find, two areas of the site under which were buried 55-gallon drums. When they told the school architect what they'd found, he wrote to the school board advising them that it would be in poor practice to continue building on the site and the area's unknown underground contents would, at the very least, affect the school's foundation. Undeterred, the school board agreed to make some changes. First, they moved the school a few feet to a different location atop the old canal. And second, they agreed that the school wouldn't have an in-ground pool or even a basement. Construction of the school would press on, however, and in 1955, Elementary School 99 opened its doors to nearly 400 children. Over the next 20 years or so, the Love Canal development matured into a thriving residential neighborhood. By 1960, there were more than 500 homes in the area. They were modest, single-story houses affordable for young families looking to establish themselves. It had an elementary school, a park, and certainly no shortage of children. A grid of numbered streets swept eastward. 91st, 92nd, 93rd, all the way to 103rd. The 99th Street School, of course, and the canal on which it sat cut right through the middle. There was also no shortage of work. Many who moved to the area found good-paying jobs in nearby factories, especially Hooker. The chemical industry had become inextricably entwined with the city's economy. Now, there were pros and cons to this, of course with the promise of good paying blue collar work, also came some health risks to workers. There was the smell for one, what residents called that hooker smell, that the wind carried through the open windows of neighborhood homes. But for those that lived there, it was a necessary evil, a small price to pay for prosperity. Residents had become all but immune to it. But there were other problems, more serious problems that had arisen over the years. Sure, the smell was one thing, but what about the strange white rocks that would spark when you threw them at the ground? Fire rocks, the children called them. What about the malodorous black sludge that crept into people's basements? Or the partially unearthed rusty barrel sticking out just beyond second base on the baseball field? Avoiding it had become second nature to those playing there. What about the rashes, the asthma, the high rates of kidney disease, the miscarriages, the birth defects? What about the unusually high rate of sick children and unusually short lives of family pets? What was causing this pattern of pain and tragedy among residents? By the late 1970s, over 20 years had passed since Hooker sank its final 55-gallon drum into Love Canal's muddy depths. But nothing stays buried forever. And slowly, the canal's long since buried chemicals had escaped their impermeable clay encasement. We're gonna end this chapter of the story here and pick up with part three next week. Thank you all for listening to what is an incredibly important and complicated local story. Please excuse the length, and thank you for your patience. Some stories just demand more detail, and this is certainly one of them. Today's episode was researched, written, and produced by me, Anthony Greco. Part 3 will be coming very soon. Now, if you like what we're doing here, please tell your friends and family. Share it on social media, whatever you can to help us grow. Creating this podcast is an incredible amount of work between researching, writing, recording, editing, and creating the music bed, etc. But seeing the download numbers continually increase inspires us to keep this going. We truly appreciate all of your support. The Buffalo History Museum receives operating support from Erie County, the City of Buffalo, the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of Governor Kathy Hochul, and the New York State Legislature. Additional support is provided by m and Bank and from our donors, our members, and our friends.